Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Welcome everyone to our new series, FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. And uh, each summer what we do is we take a few weeks to really uh, change things up. We switch it up. We let you kind of dictate the content. If you're uh, in New Brunswick or you're watching online, we have invited you to text your questions to uh, 62953. You can still do that anytime in the series. It's got okay. Uh, as, uh, as some of our pastors have said, sometimes you tell you to turn your phone off, turn it on, text your question in. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of the hot topics that are on your mind, explore those issues from a biblical perspective, and hopefully over the next few weeks really give you a clear kind of Christ-centered perspective that's grounded in grace and truth because those are our core values at Liquid. Um, we started FAQ actually last summer, and we were inundated with topics. We could not get to all of them. So I want to start with, with one question um, that really always tops the list whenever people get a chance to ask it. Someone texted this. They said, um, what's your position on women in the church? Can they be leaders? And, uh, and that's an easy question. What's our position on women? We love them. Uh, I am personally a big fan. Uh, I, uh, I was raised by one, uh, I married one, I'm, I'm, I'm raising a little one of my own at home, so personally speaking, I'm definitely pro-woman, uh, this is a good thing, but I know they're kind of getting at something a little bit deeper here, because uh, someone else also texted this, they said, why do certain scriptures seem oppressive towards women? I love this, they said, for example, the Apostle Paul often seems harsh and demeaning towards females, like he's got lady issues. And I, I, that made me smile. If you grew up particularly in conservative circles, that, that brings a smile to your face. If you're not familiar with the Bible or with church, you may be like, like what? what are you talking about? What they're referring to are several passages in the Bible, the New Testament in particular, written by the Apostle Paul, that at first glance seem pretty like restrictive. For instance, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this in verse 11. It says, a woman should learn in quietness in full submission. I don't permit a woman to teach, Paul says, or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. And uh, again, if you're a woman, uh, you might say, let me guess, a man wrote that. Uh, You know, like that's a consistent knock against the Christian church by secular critics. The idea that they say, well, that's what's wrong with the church. Don't you see this? For all this talk of the Bible being inspired, it's God's word. It seems outdated, just oppressive. Like a woman must be silent and submissive. What's with that? This is the 21st century. And yet scriptures, they would say, like this seem hopelessly out of step with the times. In fact, someone texted this. They said, is the Bible biased or worse, bigoted? And that's actually a great question. I mean, what do you do with a verse like this? We printed this in your notes. so You can kind of follow along here. As they said on the surface, Paul's words really do seem pretty like, like backwards. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, like, you want to know what I think about women? Here's my stance. Sit down and be quiet. Like, is Paul the ancient redneck of Scripture, you know, kind of, kind of moment? Um, the original misogynist, but, but is the Bible biased? 
or worse, bigoted? What would you say if your friend asked you that or a co-worker said, the problem with Christianity is they're all bigoted. They're oppressive towards gender, sexuality. Um, because you have to admit, on the surface, these words do seem pretty black and white. The question for us is, do we really understand the context, though, in which these words were written? And more importantly, how does the Christian faith actually liberate women from the cultural restraints of their time? And that's how I kind of want to tackle this tonight. First, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the context of this teaching, the cultural setting in which these words were first written. And then we're going to look at what Christ did to really shatter some of the traditional assumptions that were held firmly in the first century. Um, because Jesus, here's the deal, guys. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he forever changed the way men and women interacted. The way that Jesus loved, honored, respected women in his ministry was truly groundbreaking, particularly for the context of the time. So um, this morning, tonight, whenever you are engaged in this moment, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say because it says the cross of Jesus. You know what it did? It destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between ethnics and gender differences, forever obliterating all the isms that kind of plague this conversation. You know what the isms are? Sexism, chauvinism, patriarchalism, uh, meanism, all of those, you know, kind of isms. So I want to start with a little history lesson. Follow along. I've included a few fill-ins for you to bring you up to speed. And it will probably come as no surprise to you to learn that in the first century Jewish culture, women were actually second-class citizens, literally and legally. By law, by tradition, for thousands of years, every Jewish child grew up understanding that man was master and woman was subordinate in the home, in the temple. Her role was simply to serve and obey him without question. In fact, the first uh, century Jewish historian, his name was Josephus, he actually wrote this. I put this in your notes. He said, the women are in all things inferior to the man. So this, this in the first century was this hyper-patriarchal culture, okay, in which Christianity first took root. Women had actually received no formal education up to this point in history. That was reserved for males only. And Jewish rabbis were actually encouraged never to teach or even speak with a woman. It was actually kind of crazy. Men were viewed as like so intrinsically superior to women that one rabbinical writing actually said, better is the sin of a man than a woman doing a good deed, okay? So just capture this. This was a suffocating environment if you were a female in the first century. Women actually had few legal rights. Check this out. Their testimony was not admissible in a court of law because they were considered unreliable witnesses. And, and this, is, this is kind of fun. According to the rabbinic school of Hillel, a man could legally divorce his wife if she burned his dinner. How's that for a happy meal? Okay, that's like a, that's incredible. So this, this kind of implicit inferiority of women, it was so interwoven in the culture's history and tradition that it literally infected everything, most notably religion, all right? You talk about a morning, this is an incredible prayer, okay? It's like, oh, husband and wife, let's have morning devotions together. If you were a God-fearing, devout Jewish man, every morning you would lead your family in a prayer called the Baraka that went like this. Blessed be the Lord who did not make me a Gentile, or basically a pig-eating uh, non-Jew. Blessed be he who did not make me a woman, and blessed be he who did not make me an uneducated man or slave. This is how ancient Judaism classed women. They were in the same grouping as slaves and Gentiles. They weren't just second-class citizens. They were literally treated like property. Okay, it's pretty stifling. This prayer is actually called the Baraka, and I want you to think about this. Jewish men were supposed to recite this first thing every morning before they got out of bed. 
In other words, it was the first thing their wife would hear from their husband's lips as she lay beside him. Can you imagine this? These demeaning words are the first thing you heard every single day of your married life. Your husband waking up and praying and thanking God he wasn't you. Okay? And then the realization would hit. A slave could be set free. A Gentile could convert. But guess what? You could never stop being a woman. It's in this oppressive context that Christianity was born, guys. Jesus Christ, born in a backwater town in ancient Israel called Nazareth, to a humble peasant girl, an unmarried, pregnant teenager named Mary, who God picks to introduce his son to the world. And all throughout his ministry, Jesus radically violated the social taboos surrounding women. You think about it, when he befriended that, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, she was not only a half-breed, another race, but a woman in the middle of the day. Jesus healed, Jesus touched, he cast demons out of women. Jesus highlighted women as examples of exemplary faith in his teachings. He said, hey, look at this woman. The, the, the way that she prays, she's so persistent. The way that she gives everything, her generosity, that's what it's like to follow God. And that was scandalous for a male rabbi to elevate a woman as an example of what it meant to obey God. It was revolutionary. Women weren't even permitted to read, let alone be like a model of faith. What's more, Jesus allowed a sinful woman to to, to anoint him, actually let down her hair, a symbol of her sensuality, and wash his feet. That was scandalous. She's She's touching him. Two of Jesus' closest friends were women, Martha and Mary, whom he considered sisters. And most significantly, this is significant, the Bible records that a woman was the first person to witness and carry the news that Jesus had been raised from the dead. On her testimony is the basis of our faith. So in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he honored, he taught, he loved women, included them in vital positions in his ministry. Now it's true, he did not include them in the dirty dozen. His, his disciples will talk about the significance of that in a minute. But it really was only after Jesus gave his life on the cross as a substitute to God for both men and women that these thundering words were written in Galatians 3. Take a look at this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor what? Female, for you are all, let's say it together, church, one in Christ Jesus. And this was a radical revolutionary idea that had never been articulated in the history of civilization. Oneness, unity, equality. Not just ethnic equality. It's not just Jew versus Greek. Not just socioeconomic equality, slave versus free. But gender equality, male or female. One is no longer superior to the other, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This was a revolutionary concept that set the ancient world on fire. In many ways, the gospel gave women a new status that said they were equal in worth, value, dignity, and respect in the eyes of God. In Christ, all of a sudden, women became actually daughters of God, sons and daughters of God, sisters in Christ, brothers. Now, it's important to note this when I say equality. Equality does not mean sameness. We're the same. In other words, at the beginning of creation, God creates man and women with unique gifts and distinctive roles to play. And they're not supposed to compete with each other, but rather complement each other. It's like a right hand complementing a left hand. Both are supposed to be working together in tandem to make the other one more effective. But the gospel of Christ gave women a brand new status. It also gave them a new respect. 
In Genesis, God appointed the man to actually be the head or the spiritual leader in the relationship. But in the New Testament, the model of Jesus, that man was supposed to now lead by loving, caring, and laying down his life for her the way Jesus did for the church. So Jewish men who were converting to Christianity said, so how am I supposed to now treat my wife? And they were pointed to the cross. Well, what did Jesus do for his? He died for her, baby. And they were like, what is revolutionary? The head of the household was supposed to be the servant of all. That cross just literally turned centuries of patriarchal tradition on its ear. Suddenly headship, leadership, meant sacrifice and responsibility. So in the Old Testament, Adam is head over Eve, but he failed. He failed to protect her. He failed to lead her. So God sends the second Adam, Jesus, who not only takes responsibility for the woman's sin, but actually dies to restore her relationship with God. And do you know who wrote then these controversial words? There's neither Jew nor Greek, nor male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. You know who wrote those? The Apostle Paul. In fact, his words to the Galatians, take a look at them, because they are a direct rebuke of that morning prayer prayed by Jewish males. Blessed be the Lord who didn't make me a what? A Gentile, which is a Greek. In other words, he addresses all three couplings. He says, blessed be he who didn't make me a slave. Slave or free doesn't matter. Blessed be he who didn't make me a woman. Male or female doesn't. You're all one in Jesus Christ. Paul's literally, he was a Pharisee. He prayed that prayer. And he says, I'm shattering it with this teaching of the gospel. Paul said, with the coming of Christ, this brand new era is underway, guys. Because Christ is the great equalizer. We're no longer separated by these ethnic, class, socioeconomic, or just gender lines. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And at the time, guys, this idea was nothing short of world-changing. Because these people didn't mix. They were hostile. They were held hostage by centuries of uh, of, uh, suspicion, oppression, outright abuse. And that's the impact Christ had on first century culture. The gospel literally gifted women with a newfound status, a new respect, and finally, faith in Christ gave them a brand new opportunity. This is the context of the verse that we read in 1 Timothy 2, about a woman being silent and submissive. Look back in your notes. What do the first four words say? In fact, let's just read these aloud together. I love this. Just stop here. Ready? Let's read it out loud. Ready? A woman should what? Learn. Stop right there. A woman should learn. This is unbelievable. (laughs) See, the 21st century, we, rushed, we went right to the offensive punchline. What about the silence and subordination? In the first century, a man reading these four words of Paul would have said, scandalous, he's such a liberal. A woman isn't permitted to learn jack. Only men get educated. And Paul actually is saying a woman can, for the first time, come to temple, come to church, and what? Learn. It would have been like, what the? You mean you're going to let ladies in the temple? For centuries, they stood outside. They couldn't even come in the gates. And now you're going to let them in to learn? This Christianity, this church of Jesus, this is too liberal for my blood. This is crazy talk. Guys, that's how far we are from the culture and context of the first century. So this is really a reality check for us, okay? Because it's very easy to cherry pick any verse in the Bible and run it kind of through our 21st century filter of gender politics. But that's the context of 1 Timothy 2. Now, look at the rest of this verse and understand what it says. He says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I don't permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. So what's the context of this instruction? This letter, 1 Timothy, was written to a church in the city of Ephesus. 
And not surprisingly, because of the cultural background, most of the women in the Ephesian church had no formal schooling, no education, no knowledge of the Bible. So when Paul writes, a woman should learn, it's a gender bender. It's a breakthrough at first. They're being given new freedom in Christ. You can study the scripture for yourself, sister. However, their lack of religious training and knowledge made them very vulnerable, particularly to false teachers. That is why the Apostle Paul wrote the letter of 1 Timothy, to combat false teaching. And the women, in, in particular in Ephesus, were very susceptible, not through a fault of their own, but because they're new to the faith. They didn't have any biblical knowledge. They had no pre-existing training to discern the truth at this point. So Paul's basically like, ladies, I want you to listen. And I want you to learn for a while in quietness, which in the Greek actually doesn't mean total silence, but it means a peaceful demeanor. You're not going to interrupt. You're not going to give your opinions. You're just going to absorb for a while. He, Paul also requires this of men in Titus 2. He's like, you need to assume the posture of a learner here, okay? Does this make sense? What's more, apparently some of these women, I don't know how else to say it, according to, to Paul, were dressing like hoochie mamas. Can I just say that uh, here? Uh, this is the section of your notes titled False Teachers and Hoochie Mamas. So if you're following along, if you look at verse 9 and 10, these are the verses in front of this. Paul writes this. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Again, these are brand new believers. Follow. These are women just coming up out of the suffocating constraints of patriarchal Judaism. And apparently some of them were using their newfound freedom uh, to rock weaves, uh, bling, and Jimmy Choo's. Okay, that's what's happening here. This is in my version, okay? It, and it's like, isn't it funny how times change? Imagine this, women wanting to show a little skin to get man's attention. Thank God this is no longer relevant. Gosh. Understand what's happening. Paul's not trying to like micromanage women or tell you what to wear. Now sit down and be quiet. He's making a larger point, guys, about Christian virtue. He's like, your identity is no longer defined by what men think, but by what Christ thinks, what God thinks of you. So you don't need to show off anymore. There's no peacocks in the kingdom. You don't have to wear the flashy bling of the Manola Blondics, but, but dress yourself, he says, with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Again, the theme's liberation in Christ. He's like, because Christ is now your master, not men, you don't have to try to earn their approval with your appearance. Is that liberating, ladies? Amen? Imagine if we took this to heart. <laughs> If you woke up tomorrow and before you went to put your makeup on, you had such a sense of security in Christ of what God thought of you, you actually didn't think, oh, I hope I look okay for him. Because man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks where? At the heart. It's empowering. That's liberating. That's true freedom. This is what Paul was fighting for. That's the larger context of his teaching about women and their place in the church. So when he says things like, um, if you ladies have questions, ask your husband at home, he's not being demeaning. He's trying to establish a sense of order and propriety and combat false teaching in the brand new first century church. And if you think that interpretation is a stretch, I want you to consider this chilling fact. In the Middle East today, it is only in those countries where Paul's influence spread that women have been liberated. While today, throughout much of the rest of the Middle East, in the 21st century, women today are more likely to consider property still denied an education, and hide behind a veil into which they disappear into oblivion under Islamic fundamentalism. So this teaching transcends culture. 
and is more relevant than ever in the 21st century. So don't miss Paul's big ideas. His first lesson is, first off, no hoochie mamas in my church. Yeah? You, don't have, you don't have to bear it all. You don't have to cover up, okay? Moderation, propriety. Secondly, don't miss his big point. The big idea is Paul's telling Timothy, you never put someone in a position of leadership who isn't mature in the faith. And that same principle applies to churches today. So just understand that, that, that some interpret this passage to mean that women should never teach in the church. Okay, there are, are, are good meaning brothers, Christian brothers and sisters who, who believe that. But Paul himself did not always forbid women from teaching. In fact, Paul specifically highlights a woman named Priscilla who taught Apollos. He highlights Phoebe and Mary, or mentioned in Romans 16, as kind of workers in the church who were key to building up the ministry. So the broader application of this specific command is very clear. When Christians get together, new converts, if you're new to the faith, you should be concerned with learning in quietness and submission in order to prevent false teaching or abuse of Christian freedom. Only people who are mature in the faith should be put in positions of leadership. And that principle, candidly, is timeless. In fact, it still governs our church here at Liquid today. In, in a moment, I'm going to, you're in for a treat. I am going to invite out three female leaders at our church who have an incredible influence on the health and vitality of our congregation so that you can actually hear from them. Because in some respects, it's a little crazy for me to you know, teach on women and leadership without hearing their voice or perspective. Now, before I bring them out, though, okay, I want to give you three views of women in ministry that may be helpful for you to get your mind around. Okay, these are kind of three fancy terms, but I think they're helpful. They kind of give you a handle on the different approaches that different churches take. Okay, so if you're taking notes, again, fancy term moment, but you can capture this. Three views of women in ministry. The first is the egalitarian view, which more liberal and mainline denominations kind of uh, take. Basically, egalitarian simply means the belief that men and women are equal partners in every area of ministry. In other words, all offices in a church are open to men and women, including pastors, elders, whatever. For instance, the Episcopal Church or the United Methodist Church, both of those ordain women. You can see kind of uh, the Mrs. Pope here, uh, dressed in the purple. Um, and in that egalitarian view, gender is not a relevant distinction for excluding any person from any position, including pastor, including elder, the highest offices. Now, on the right of that, that's the liberal view, you have the hierarchical view, which is held by very conservative churches. For instance, the Plymouth Brethren, okay? They would take this teaching in 1 Timothy as primary importance. They would say, this is not a secondary issue, this is a main issue. They don't allow women to pray out loud, to speak in a church, in a church service. They actually aren't permitted to lead in any capacity. There's no leading worship, there's no serving communion. They can't teach anybody except for other women and children, okay? So egalitarian is the more liberal view, and hierarchical is strictly conservative. In between those two views is really where liquid lies, and that is the complementarian perspective. Now, what I mean by that, it basically says that men and women are partners together in every area of ministry. Women can uh, lead ministries, they can lead worship, they can serve communion, etc. They can pretty much play any uh, role within the church with a singular exception of pastor, particularly head pastor. And the main idea, it's not because like, oh, Tim's threatened by his job. It's not that, <laughs> okay? The main idea here is that we do believe in, in biblical headship, that concept that God actually saddles men with an additional responsibility at the beginning of creation. Adam is the head over Eve. Not dictatorial, but the first to lay down his life. 
by way of sacrifice. Jesus upheld that when he chose 12 men to be his disciples. That is actually very significant. Some people are like, maybe Jesus was afraid of ruffling feathers. That was not the case, okay? It's not that Jesus was afraid of anything. He overturned all kinds of social taboos. But he did intentionally pick men because he said, I want you to follow me because you're going to have to lay down your life. And right now today, in relation to Jesus, who is male, the church, us, we are what? Female. We're his bride. So again, the idea behind the complementary perspective is, is mutual submission and love and service and sacrifice to each other. But at the end of the day, the man is the first one to die, just like Jesus did. God gives him extra responsibility for the girl, the way Christ took responsibility for us. So the idea here at Liquid is that our church structure is supposed to mirror or reflect that eternal priority. Now, I say all of this with a little fear and trembling (laughs) because there are limits to these kind of labels. People like to take them and bash others over the head. (laughs) Although Liquid skews complementarian in our approach, over half of our ministry staff are women. We don't currently have female pastors, but this is not a hill I'm ready to die on. I am not interested in fighting you in the parking lot after the service, okay? Why is this? Because at the end of the day, this is not a salvation issue, guys. This is a secondary issue on which well-meaning Christians can agree to disagree. I personally have friends who are all over the spectrum, from conservative Catholics to evangelical Episcopalians, everything in between. And the truth is, at the end of the day, Everybody who puts their trust in Jesus will be spending eternity in heaven regardless of where they land on this particular issue. At Liquid, we focus on the essentials of our faith, the non-negotiables. What are those? Christ's virgin birth, substitutionary atonement. He died in our place. He was raised from the dead. Salvation comes by grace through faith alone. Those are the non-negotiables, and I'm clutching my hand because you know what? We're close-handed about those. They're not up for debate. However, secondary issues... We're open-handed. Stuff like the role of women, speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts. We try to make room in this church for people who have different convictions and experiences because you know what we realize? There's diversity in the body of Christ. And on secondary stuff, we're open-handed. We can actually have civilized discourse and appreciate another's perspective without belittling their character. Amen? Grace and truth and tension. Those are our two values that we're always trying to kind of keep in balance. So I want you to kind of get that. In many ways... Um, This is kind of old school, (laughs) but we follow the sage advice of the early church father, Augustine, who famously said, in the essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty or freedom, and in all things, what? Love. In other words, what are the things that we have to be unified about? Jesus is God, deity of Jesus, salvation by grace through faith. Those are essentials, hold to the core. But in non-essentials, secondary issues, can a woman be a pastor? Liberty. We respect the freedom of conviction in Christ, and we're charitable towards people whose perspective may be different than ours. Because in all things, we have to have what? Love. Love's the rule. Scripture's like men and women can talk a good game, speak in the tongue of men and angels, but if they don't have love for each other, you have nothing. So that's our goal, guys, to to bind this whole conversation up in love. Speaking of which... I am now going to invite out our three lovely ladies, uh, who many of you will recognize. Um, They are part of our leadership team here at Liquid, and they have graciously agreed to come out and share their experience with us. So uh, can you show them some Liquid love? Put your hands together for our three panelists. Come on out, ladies. Good to have you. Osil, thank you for being here. Lauren, Tara, thank you, ladies. Awesome. 
Great to have them. You probably recognize these guys. Hosil is actually serves as our director of Liquid Kids. You rocked out. You're the mastermind behind Camp Rock. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yes, mobilized over 200 volunteers. Oversees our family programming at Morristown at New Brunswick. Is actually prepping our kids for our launch of our third campus in Montclair. Um, Lauren, most of you recognize probably from the 411. Lauren Vacari has actually been serving at Liquid since back in the day, over five years ago. She is a wife to Nick, uh, mama to Bella. Uh, you're on staff here at Liquid. You have worked in the corporate world. Busy lady. We're going to get her perspective on kind of juggling those things. But she works with our church online and web teams using her programming skills. And then Tara Leahy uh, is actually the vocalist who leads worship in New Brunswick and most notably is married to Pastor Mike. And I think we all want to know, what is that like? <laughs> all right, that's where we're going we're gonna to start. So welcome, ladies. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Maybe we could start actually with Hosil. I think this is going to start with you. When you look at these three different um, you know, buckets, um, when you look at that and think about your background, you actually grew up in kind of a hierarchical church. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, my parents are first-generation immigrants from um, Korea, mm -hmm. and so I grew up in a very conservative um, Korean home. And um, my father is a pastor, and um, and so in the as you can imagine, church was very traditional. Sure. And um, growing up, we never saw any ladies really in leadership in a okay. leadership role. In fact, where you would see the ladies would be um, either playing the organ or in the choir or most often um, you'd find them in the kitchen preparing that awesome meal for after church service. The potluck ministry. Yes. Okay, yes. there it was. I remember when I became a pastor, my grandmother actually said to my wife, Colleen, so you're going to learn the organ? Because that was the only box she had to put that in. Now, um, that's, that's interesting because, Tara, you actually grew up even in a, in a kind of a more conservative congregation than that. Can you tell us about that? Um, yeah, I grew up, um, my parents were not believers. They started going to um, a church when I was two, a Plymouth Brethren church, and they, I'm eternally grateful to the church. They became believers, and mm -hmm. by going there, I became a believer, but very, very, very conservative. Um, services were done without uh, instruments. Everything was a cappella for the most part, and um, the women were not um, permitted to speak at all, okay. uh, couldn't lead worship, talk. Um, we, we had to wear uh, we wore head coverings. What tell uh, what are um, head coverings? Like um, <laughs> like a doi like a doily on. So so on not like Hosil's fedora. No, that, that's no, not what we're like rocking a, over there. Like okay. you put like a lamp on it, like a doily. <laughs> like a doily. Yeah. The, if you guys actually aren't familiar with this, this is interesting because again, Paul uh, wrote this in First Corinthians eleven. He said, um, "Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. The head of Christ is God." This is that issue of headship, and so he says. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. She should cover her head. And this was the beginning of Easter bonnets, right? Not really. Um, basically, this is head coverings. It kind of it was a symbol of submission to authority. And this, in this case, it showed what? Submission to the pastor, the elders? Well, it, this was a really important passage at our church. We spoke okay. about it all. I, I would say it was a primary, primary issue. Primary issue. Close-fisted, um, close for sure. Um, so basically, it... Uh, in terms of headship and authority, because the man was head over the woman and um, Christ is head over the man, um, in a worship setting, the woman to show an outward display of her submission and her um, being under the authority of the man, or in this case, the elders of our chapel, um, that's why we would wear them. Okay. So um, that was that strange to you? Or, I mean, you were, how long were you in the church? 20-something uh, years? Like 20, I went there for about 
27 years. And no, it was not weird to me at all. Everyone else who didn't wear them was weird to me. Because so, <laughs> it's all I knew. Right, right. So, well, I'm just going to then ask the obvious question. I mean, you used to wear you know, head covering, weren't allowed to speak church. Now you lead worship. Uh, yeah, I, at times I've noticed you wear ripped jeans. Uh, just be acknowledged. In fact, Hosel, can you pass the hat over here? I just feel like maybe we should, you know, kind of, you don't have to wear it. But the, uh, yeah, this, what happens? I'm trying to ask to what happened, because that must have been like kind of a, a gear grinder, you know, to kind of end up in a church like Liquid. It was a really big shift for, uh, for, for myself. Okay. Uh, my husband wanted to leave the church. Ironically, you would think I would be like trying to get out of there, but I, I loved it there. It was all I knew. I don't like change. I felt very comfortable and safe yeah. there, but he just didn't feel like he was growing and uh, came to Liquid. I thought it was a stage. I was like, well, we'll just let him grow it out and I'll just ride it out and soon right. we'll be gone. But we're 10 years later, still here. Here you are. Yeah. Um, and now married to the pastor. Who knew? Okay. This is, um, is kind of interesting, guys, because, again, you always take cultural context into account when you, when you look at the Bible and you interpret Scripture. When you come across a verse that makes you go, hmm? You always have to, because this stuff about head coverings, that seems weird, right, to modern ears. Again, Paul actually writes this. He says, does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? So there goes Pastor Dave. Uh, goodbye, Dave, where he's a disgrace. That just confirms that. Uh, but but if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory. And and you read, don't you ever read that stuff? And it's it kind of like it makes you go like like why does he make such a big deal about hair lengths? And again, you understand first century culture is key here. In Corinth, long hair was worn by male prostitutes. Understand this? Again, sorry, Pastor Dave, but that's that's the that's the context. Female prostitutes in Corinth had short hair. They were impersonating young men. So hair length, head coverings, was a key sign of sexual identity and availability. And again, kind of the broader principle that Paul's getting at applies, that any behavior or appearance that's going to compromise your testimony or witness for Christ is what you want to be careful and think critically about. Now, now Lauren, you're, you're again, a successful, kind of a modern lady. You've worked in the corporate world. Um, You joined our church staff mom, uh, mother, you actually have a cake business on the side, like you're the cake boss, entrepreneur. A little bit, we're doing a little bit of that, yeah. How do you juggle all of those things with your identity in Christ? Is that a struggle? Tell us about it. Well, I think like most women here, you can probably agree that we can juggle a lot of things, right? You can do about a thousand different things, and the important thing is you can do them all at once, right? So, um, I'm pretty much, I'm like that. I like to do a lot of things, but I think the question that I've really been asking myself is at what cost? Because I think specifically in this area of America where we live on the East Coast, so much is expected of, of women today. You have to do everything, and if you're not doing everything, it's like you're not doing enough. Okay. So I can, you know, people would ask me, wow, you know, just it's incredible. You did a four-tiered cake. You went to work. You know, you cleaned the house. You did the laundry. You made dinner. You did all that in an hour. That's incredible. I can't believe it. And, you know, I have, I've yet to hear the same praise if I just sat in a messy house played with my daughter, and spent five hours in quiet time with God. It's just, right. it's, it's very different. So yeah. I think we're all very capable, but what, yeah. what God has been doing for me is he's been really pulling me back into relationship with him, okay. reminding me that relationship is the most important thing. Yeah. First and foremost with, with him, and then secondary with my yeah. spouse and, and family. So, yeah. um, And I want to be clear, too, that I think that God has given us all of these mm-hmm. gifts. And as, as, as women, you know, there's, there's so many things you can be doing, and that's all good. And I've yeah. grown a lot through all of the, the things that God has given me. Um, but I, I've just been reminded over and over again that that's not the point. Yeah. 
So um, just giving yourself that grace to spend time in a relationship with him, I think, is important. Yeah. Uh, it's been a difficult lesson for me, but fortunately, God is a patient teacher. So awesome. It's been good. That's, that's, you know, and that's a great perspective on identity in Christ. The world tells you to define yourself by the other. I'm not. I, I am a woman. I am not a man. I am gay. I am not straight. And it has to do with your identity in Christ. There's not male or female, Greek or free. It's a, it's a very important perspective that I know I struggle with, get confused all the time. Um, let me ask you guys this. There are a couple questions that uh, people texted in. Someone said, is being a woman in ministry difficult? What, you know, limitations? And then what's it like being married to a pastor? We'll let you take that one, Tara. Uh, Lauren Hosell, is being a woman in ministry difficult? Yeah, I think specifically at Liquid, it has not been too difficult. Liquid's uh, been really great to work at in that regard. Um, but I do remember a time when I was serving as a connections coordinator here, and I did a lot of praying, um, sometimes on stage, sometimes in, in groups in the back. And we had some, someone write that they couldn't believe that a woman was praying in church. And um, I don't think they realized that I get all of those emails. So I read that, and I, I right. felt horrible, and uh, for, it took right. me a while to get back to the point where I felt comfortable praying, but um, I think the important thing is, is um, on staff, you know, it, it, was, it was a grace thing. You look at that, and you say, everyone has different perspectives that they come from, yeah. but um, fortunately, the staff uh, encouraged me and made it a lot easier to go up on stage yeah. the next week. Did you email them back and say, I'm praying for you right now? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Hosel, tell us what your perspective um, is. I think ministry in general is yeah. difficult, but of course the rewards are just awesome. Um, but for me, I don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I'm a woman in leadership or I'm a woman okay. in ministry. Um, so the only time I really recognize that is when um, I'm asked the female perspective, which is always good. I think it's really good to have uh, females in the room yeah. and get their perspective on things. Um, just because, you know, as a girl too, when I was young, because in the church I grew up in, I never saw women in leadership. Yeah. I thought, it's a little odd. I probably mm. didn't think it when I was little, but certainly when I got into high school, I asked that question. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're a very influential leader in our church. Where, where does that come from? What's the currency of leadership in your experience? Um, you know, for me, I would have to say, um, so like my dad's a pastor, and he, um, he's the traditional kind of pastor. They okay. do everything. My mom supports him in every way. I remember um, one time where my dad was at the kitchen table, and literally he was taking the church program, had one chopstick, and he would fold the, the, the church program over and, you know, slide it with a chopstick because he wanted it, like, to be perfect. So there's, <laughs> there's okay. um, I have a little bit of that. I like I like good, I like nice things. I like things to be done well. And I like to, you know, I definitely have that perfectionist streak. But I think what's been really cool in um, the ministry that, you know, I've been a part of, when you have awesome people, when you have really great volunteers and staff, um, and then when you um, lead with excellence and you mm. do excellent programs, I think it does equate to influence. So, yeah. yeah. Excellence, core value. Yeah. Tara, tell us this. I'm very curious about this. What's it like being married, not just to a pastor, but to Pastor Mike? I want to know the answer to that. Give us a You know, a Tim, it's a, it's a dream. It's all I could have ever. <laughs> Consider it pure joy, my brother. Yeah. Um, no, it, he's, he's great. But um, I, my church growing up didn't have a pastor. It was okay. run by elders. So um, I was not very familiar with pastors and the role of a pastor and that they would be married and so there'd be a pastor's wife and... Um, the first pastor's wife I ever met was actually Colleen when we came to Liquid. Um, and I thought, oh, she seems like kind of normal. I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, okay. So, um, sort of. <laughs> so then um, basically in terms of being married to a pastor, it, um, 
there are some challenges. I, I feel like um, just on an emotional level, it, being well, it's yeah. preaching to the choir here. It's ve- it can be very draining. Um, Michael is very very relational, and that can take a toll on him. He's constantly meeting with people and counseling people, and he loves to do that. But mm-hmm. to be able to reserve a little bit of yourself, yeah. so you have something when you get home, and you're not giving me what I call the scraps and some mm-hmm. of my less fine moments. I'm like, oh, you bring home with the scraps. <laughs> but um, in, in terms of being a pastor's wife, they say opposites attract. Michael loves people. And not that I don't love people, but like this right now, I will go home and go to bed. Like I'm so, I'm so drained. <laughs> okay, you're it's drained pathetic. Yeah. I am, I um, people, I love people, but they do, they do mm-hmm. drain me. And um. So, we'll just edit that out. I'm just I guess, keeping I it real. So, <laughs> he's he's constantly getting invited to people's house uh, for dinner and for for meetings and mm-hmm. and um, sometimes we'll go. My, the girls, I have three daughters, and um, yeah. sometimes he'll just go, and and they may not like that. But yeah. Michael's very intentional about yeah. guarding uh, his girls and guarding me and making sure that we um, don't feel. Liquid is amazing in that way. I never feel, as a pastor's wife, any type of pressure okay. um, to be involved in everything. I don't feel like someone's standing there with a checklist to cross my name off. And as a result of that, I feel like Liquid is um, a place that I want to be involved in because hmm. I want to be involved in it, not yeah. because, oh, well, she's the pastor's wife. I don't think of myself that way ever. I, I just feel like Liquid is our spiritual home, and mm-hmm. and um, my husband happens to work there. Hmm. and. I happen to be, I, I get the privilege of, of serving here. Yes. So, Well, he's lucky to have you, and so are we. Can we thank our panel of experts for their perspective? Appreciate that, ladies. We're privileged to learn from you. Um, again, Jesus honored, he taught, he respected women. He included them in critical positions in his ministry. In fact, women kind of underwrote it. There's a verse that talks about the women kind of financing it, which is not an excuse for guys to be lazy. But at the end of the day, the Bible says he tore down the dividing wall of hostility, forever kind of obliterating all those isms. That's sexism, you know, chauvinism. And our job, guys, is literally to relate to each other the way God created us, as men and women, equal co-reflectors of his image. In other words, people can't see God fully unless they see both men and women. It's with that freedom in Christ together, we can actually embrace those liberating words that Paul wrote. In fact, let's just end with that. I want to read this aloud, uh, Liquid Church. It's, uh, it's from Galatians. It says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, let's read it together, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? This has been a great experience. We're privileged to learn from you ladies. Can we thank them once again for their time and sharing their, in their heart? Appreciate that. Jose, would you close us in prayer? Awesome, please. Um, Father God, just thank you so much for um, just being able to meet today and gather. And um, gosh, I'm just so grateful for this church that we call Liquid. Um, I'm reminded today that of of just your wonderful gift of our freedom in Christ, that I could wake up this morning, this Sunday morning, and come to church just as I am. I could find um, healing and hope here. I can find faith. Um, I can find forgiveness. I can find um, purpose. So, God, um, just as we go about our day, God, um, we just want to glorify you in everything that we do. 
And um, whether we are a guy or a gal, God, would you just um, do a work in us, continue to work in us, so that we may um, just feel the awesome joy of living a life truly in you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, we're thankful for your perspective and your questions. If you have more of those, text them. You can do that right now. Take your cell phone, 62953, and we're going to get to those in week two of FAQ. We'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.